0: Good afternoon, 7investors. Welcome to the Monday edition of 7investing now. My name is Daniel Brooks Klein, but you of course can call me Dan. I'm being joined today by Steve Symington and Max Chasco. Steve, did it snow this weekend in Montana? How, how bad is it there?
1: Everywhere but in Missoula, where I live. Uh, I got some some pictures from people just a few hours away with a solid foot of snow on their decks, but I've got nothing, just rain.
0: So, Max, are you jealous a little bit of Steve's potential? To, every Monday, it's like, did Steve get eaten by a bear? We have to worry about it a little bit. <laughs> is it something you think about, Max?
2: yeah bear watch we should start that you know uh what day is it now like day 742 still no bears that's pretty disappointing steve come on (laughs) i've sent
1: well i haven't gotten good pictures of them for you but there's been bears oh we're more worried about cats
0: so guys i had an eventful weekend as you know on on friday i got laser eye surgery uh and it went well but as you could tell still wearing glasses these are actually reading glasses what they don't tell you Is that to be able to drive right away? Like I could see like an eagle feeding its baby like 300 yards away, but I can't see my computer. (laughs) So I am working on you know getting to the point. It's going to be weeks, maybe months, uh, before my vision is fully where it is. So I'm a little disoriented. If I'm not looking in the right place, if I look a little bit odd, that is what's happening today. But we got a busy show planned for you. We're going to start by talking about 5G and sort of uh, how it's investable, where it is now. Then we're going to go into what we're watching. That's where we each bring one following that we're into. Then we're going to talk mostly with Max, but Steve is going to weigh in, on uh, sort of chasing COVID-19 as an investor. Sort of, you know, we always get asked these questions. Well, if this company has a vaccine, should I buy it? The answer is generally no, but we're going to let Max talk about that Quite a bit more, but guys, the top story uh, here comes 5G. I, I pre ordered my iPhone Pro, I did not get the max. I decided that my current screen is big enough, I didn't need to go bigger. Maybe it'll have a better battery life. Uh, but guys, 5G, are you excited? Is it something you've, you've invested in? Is it an area, Steve? I'll let you go first.
1: For me, I, I find myself kind of looking more uh, ancillary plays on 5G, so not necessarily like your uh, your your pure 5g pure plays like your qualcoms or maybe nxp semiconductor or something but uh, i find myself looking at the potential effects of of maybe a super cycle upgrade uh cycle that that is spurred uh by this new line and i think apple's uh gonna do a great job ushering in 5g and maybe people saying wait a second this is a lot faster i need a new phone so i'm looking at at companies like universal display you know uh for their oled screens maybe even corning uh which worked on apple's new ceramic shield they had gorilla glass in the past uh so i i find myself kind of looking that direction not necessarily at pure plays or carriers or maybe device makers themselves like apple personally that's kind of where i sit
0: Steve, I worry a little bit that the uh, the iPhone is actually going to have the opposite effect. And what do I mean by that? Is I'm going to get my iPhone, and I don't know if T-Mobile has, has its sort of muted 5G here in West Palm Beach, but I guess I'm going to find out pretty quickly. And it's not going to be that different because 5G now – isn't where 5g is going to be in in a few years. So I do worry that people are going to buy, they're going to expect, you know, Netflix to go laser fast and it's not going to go laser fast. Max, is this, you're the youngest one here. I think, is this something you're excited about?
2: (laughs) Yeah, this isn't something that I cover from, you know, the point of an investor. It's just not my wheelhouse, but, um, you know, I recently bought a new phone and sorry guys, I bought the pixel and they, (laughs) I, I, bought it before they released their 5g version And I thought the same thing, what you just said, Dan, like, you know, can I really use 5G? Do I need to spend, you know, $4,000 on this 5G phone right now? Um, So, you know, I think it's going to take longer to kind of gain market traction and and be something that's actually useful. But, uh, you know, it's going to replace 4G, obviously.
1: Yeah, If I can interject there, I'd be very, uh, um, one of the things that I think could be interesting is when people start to get 5G phones and talk about how much faster it is, if it is. You know, so say they're on Verizon's five G network. They have you know an Apple with five or a new iPhone with five G, and they say, "Holy crap, this is so much faster!" You know than the spotty, weird four G LTE I had before. That could be one of those things. Uh, but if it has the opposite effect, you know, people come in and say, "Well, it doesn't really matter." Like they've got T Mobile or something, and the five G networks like kind of pared down. Maybe you know, they'll be like, "Nah," you know, I don't really care about this. So that could yeah, be really I, interesting.
0: I, I worry about this a lot because true five G, the blazing fast, you know you know, 10 times as fast or five times as whatever it is, is what we have now. That's a long way away. We're not going to get that in most markets for 12 to 18 months. So you're going to get your T-Mobile phone, which is what I have. They're leading. They have the, the best rollout of some form of 5G. And if your current experience is 3G, 4G, and it's kind of laggy, you might experience a noticeable improvement. And if you're buying an iPhone and you were going to upgrade anyway, it becomes a nice add-on. If you went out of your way to buy a higher model of a phone so it would have 5G, I think you're going to be disappointed. So this is something people want the, the miracle play. They want like this tiny little antenna company you've never heard of. It's going to be a 10-bagger. Here's the reality. This is going to make Netflix better. This is going to make your phones work better. It is probably going to be good for, you know, for Apple. It is probably going to be good for T-Mobile, Verizon, AT&T. That said, I'm not so sure how good it's going to be because they're hyper discounting the iPhone 12. They want to move this device. Now, there's a lot of caveats to these discounts. You have to trade in a device, you have to sign, a, you know, a 30-month commitment. Um <laughs> So there's caveats there. Now, you can get out of that commitment. It's not like the contract of old. But, guys, this is one of those areas, a lot like we're going to talk about the coronavirus stuff, that I say be wary. Steve, you got a last word here.
1: Uh, i i feel like at a certain point iphone payments are going to be like the new car payment it's like well you got an 84 month zero percent interest you know it, it, it's getting a, a little crazy you know we're sending out to 30 months to pay for a phone and and uh, what are we going to get by then this will be
0: yeah so so here's the deal i have mine financed through t-mobile i think mm-hmm. it's an 18 month finance and it 12 months next year when I trade it in, I I might have to pay a little something. I think in this case, mine was actually worth more. Uh, So I actually get a little bit of money back. Uh, Our boss, Simon, wants to know what (laughs) – Implications (laughs) implications <laughs> will 5g have for the Internet of Things so it's gonna make the Internet of Things better the Internet of Things is this idea that every device is connected Steve like maybe your beer fridge will be able to order from instacart and say hey Steve's <laughs> running low on you know a six pack of something he drinks every week let's place that order that's a silly example but the MRI machine at your hospital is gonna know hey this part's gonna go bad in two weeks let's order that part let's make the the appointment for the technician to come in and install it all of that's Going to be seamless and it's going to be everywhere. A lot of stuff in your house, a lot of stuff is going to be powered by 5G, uh, excuse me, by the Internet of Things, and 5G is going to make that easier. Max, do you have anything automated in your house right now?
2: No, I'm pretty against all that, all those speakers and things. Someone right. gifted me one and I threw it in the garbage. Get that That's out of here. Terrible millennial. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so I, I have uh, an Amazon Echo. I won't say the name of the service uh, in every room in my house, pretty much. But honestly, I don't use it to control my lights. I don't use it for for some of the things I could. It plays music. It plays podcasts. It's a timer. Guys, let's move on to what we're watching. Uh, And Max, this is an interesting one you threw out there. So the Department of Energy has picked two advanced nuclear reactors for demonstration projects. You seem excited about this. I don't understand what it means. Tell me what's going on here.
2: (laughs) Yeah, this is something I've been following for, it seems like forever, right? So advanced nuclear technology has kind of been in development forever. And now, just recently, I think last week, the Department of Energy picked two designs to move to demonstration. So right now, they've all existed in the lab, which is mostly like computer simulations. But the Department of Energy is giving two different companies, actually three, one's a partnership, um, a bunch of money to build these things within the next seven years. So that's a pretty ambitious timeline, but the Department of Energy wants to get this technology commercialized, hopefully in the early 2030s. So the two uh, companies that are receiving money, one is a partnership between TerraPower and GE Hitachi, which is the you know one of the leading uh, nuclear technology companies globally. They have a design called Natrium, And this is a reactor that's sodium cooled, it's smaller, it's supposed to have a smaller footprint, Uh, and it's supposed to use 80% less reinforced concrete than what is typically used in existing designs. So all of that means, um, so the sodium cooled, it can actually, you know, if if, uh, the temperature heats up, uh, beyond the specifications, the sodium will expand and turn off the reactor. So it's a passive safety system, we don't actually need human beings controlling it. So So it's kind of...
0: Let, let me jump in here. Do we need nuclear reactors? Are, are are we not moving towards wind and solar and, and I don't know, happy thoughts as our methods of power? What's the <laughs> need for new nuclear power plants?
2: Yeah, so uh, that's the important thing. So these designs here are, you know, they they take away a lot of the disadvantages of existing nuclear, right? So you have existing nuclear. We build these big, giant, expensive facilities, and they're always on. They're on for 18 months until they're, you know, taken down for refueling. And when the wind blows in October and then later in the spring, these things are not economical, right? But smaller designs can be built in factories, shipped to site. The facilities are smaller. Uh, Natrium specifically uh, can be, you know, have its output tuned. So when the wind's blowing, they can decrease the output. And when the wind's not blowing, they can increase the output. Um, So more economical. And, you know, so Natrium wants to build these for less than a billion dollars. You know, so this is something that could fit into the market and actually complement wind and solar and other renewables
0: so max is this safe like so let's say you know microsoft or tesla or you know companies that have the money to do this that are heavily invested obviously in in solar and wind and other forms of technology even if it's just offsets uh is it safe for them to have a a nuclear power plant sort of in the backyard running things for them
2: (laughs) (laughs) i mean we might see some of that Uh, so some of these designs they're called small modular reactors So they're actually like on par with the footprints of, you know, a wind or solar facility. Um, So, you know, it's still, this has not been built yet in the real world, but I think this is going to become a valuable technology, especially as we start to decarbonize our economy. So in the 2030s, I mean, nuclear can make a comeback, I think.
0: Thank you, Max. So guys, before we get to Steve's pick for what he's watching, this broadcast, this episode of Seven Investing Now is, as always, brought to you by Seven Investing. We are three of the seven. There are three others. That would be uh, Austin Lieberman, Simon Erickson, and Matt Cochran. They're going to rotate in on the show later this week, but we're a membership-based service. You give us $17 a month. We each give you our best stock pick each month, and we give you a lot more than that. Like Today, I did a one-on-one call with one of our members. Uh, not, We don't give personal investing advice, but he wanted to know how to use the service better. How many stocks should he own? Can't give specific advice there. Can give broad advice. So If you want to come along for the ride, Sign up at 7investing.com. If you have questions about 7investing, you can email me at dcline, that's D K L I N E at seveninvesting.com, You want to do a 15-minute one-on-one to learn about the service? Happy to do that. We are a small service. We are connected. We're going to be doing members-only events starting this week where you can talk to us. You can say, hey, Max, this stock you picked, uh, you know, it's doing really well. Is it too late to get in? And you can get those answers, get our perspective on it. We are growing. We are changing. We are very excited to have you along for the ride. Steve, earnings season starts. It feels like earnings season never ends. What are you watching? <laughs> Uh, what are the big ones that you're watching All going right. into? The- so I've got a
1: couple hundred stocks. We're going to go over here. Uh, no, <laughs> e- earnings season has begun, and uh, it, you know it's it's this feels like a more consequential earnings season, I think, than than most. Uh, banks already gave us, uh, for the most part, better than feared results last week. Uh, they m- Most of them detailed slowing loan losses. They largely described hopeful trends of stabilization in the third quarter. Uh, didn't really seem to matter much as people fret over the uncertainty stemming from the impending election, status of another stimulus deal, uh, so-called third wave of coronavirus cases. Everybody's scared about that. Uh, but our investing news feeds are going to get a whole lot more crowded as corporate earnings season ramps. And we're going to see some big moves depending on what companies say in their respective earnings reports. So this week's reports, uh, some notable names uh, that I'll be watching Netflix tomorrow after the close uh, will be releasing. Uh, Last quarter, I think they announced over 10 million new subscribers. I think almost 27 million year to date. Yeah, Uh, Steve,
0: let me me jump in here. Is this the quarter Netflix keeps telling us they've been pulling ahead subscribers? Mm-hmm. Could this be the quarter where it's like
1: they lost two hundred thousand because they they added so many over the past year? Maybe I I somehow doubt it. Like part of me wants or maybe hopes that. Um, you know, that, that's the thing. They say they're pulling forward subscribers because of the pandemic, and that's the reason shares fell after last quarter's report. So management suggested growth might slow in the second half of this year compared to 2019. But uh, two things I think that could spur the stock even higher from here. Uh, first, if they manage to sustain the pace of growth and prove that that outlook was conservative, shares are going to soar. Uh, second, a potential price increase. Uh, for their core U.S. subscriber base, could be coming up. That would be really interesting if they announced that. They actually only recently announced they'll raise prices in Canada earlier this month, which accounts for something like four percent of their user base. <laughs> it's like
0: eight. It's like eight people. They actually drove around and told <laughs> yeah. each of them personally. Uh,
1: and so- they're like, yeah, so sorry, we we didn't mean to, but uh, you know, last time we saw price increase in the U.S. was early last year. That's almost two years ago. And uh, if Netflix thinks they can raise raise prices again without really affecting churn, however modest that price increase might be it could serve to really spur their top and bottom lines and cause that share price to rally.
0: So Steve, you're also watching iRobot. That's a company that uh, they make the Roomba. I have a Roomba. It amazes me that this is an investable company because I look <laughs> at the Roomba, which I own, and I go, who would pay $450 for this or even 700 if you want a top one? Mm, that wow. said, I'm that that sucker. And clearly, there's a lot of other suckers out there. Your yeah, thoughts on they're, iRobot? They're
1: more expensive. The most expensive Roombas, I think, are like $1,200. They include like a clean base and it empties itself for a couple months at a time. But uh, I'm going to be very curious to see how iRobot held up last quarter considering uh, – and, and, and some of their forward-looking comments, too. Uh, Prime Day is a big windfall for them. Uh, as The Roombas uh, usually show up kind of front and center as some of the more attractive deals for consumers. Uh, management said last quarter the pandemic served to really spur demand from consumers for, who are really beginning to realize the utility of their products. And uh, I'm really curious to see if iRobot unveils any more details about not only their connected user community, which is growing nicely, but also uh, potential recurring revenue streams. So there was talk... Uh, from management of potential lease options for those more expensive robots that could further spur demand. Uh, So this could be a really interesting quarter for iRobot. And uh, especially if the pandemic has continued to really turn people toward their products as viable alternatives to uprights. So so the pandemic has
0: taught us all how dirty our houses are. You know, you spend all day at home. Like we, we had to buy like a big thing to clean our ceiling fan because we'd never noticed how dirty the ceiling fan had gotten. I actually use my Roomba less because it's noisy. Mm-hmm. One or both of us is at home at all times working. So previously, yeah. I used to run out to the gym and I'd run the Roomba for an hour. Now we actually are vacuuming on the weekends rather than, you know, which unfortunately I have two cats. A Roomba is very helpful for that. So Steve. Yeah. Another company that people pay way too much heed to their earnings is reporting this week. That's Tesla. People go absolutely nuts for Tesla earnings. What do you expect? Uh, I don't put Uh, any stock in their numbers, frankly.
1: (laughs) Fireworks, I think, is, is what we can expect. Uh, I, you know, I, I think the big thing that people are going to be looking at, you know, we've already seen their their deliveries numbers for last month. Uh, people are going to be looking at whether demand is holding up well. Uh, you know, we saw their battery day presentation last month. So we have details there. We saw a big order of Tesla semis come in. Uh, I think it was something like 140 or 170 Tesla semis that Walmart ordered from Tesla a few weeks ago. Uh, but really demand is what people are going to be focusing on. Like, how is that holding up? And uh, and is Tesla able to actually take advantage of the manufacturing facilities that they they have available uh, with demand uh, that's holding up? So that should be interesting. Uh, may or may not cause share price to go bonkers because we all know how Tesla's been the last well year or two. Steve, so, Steve
0: let me ask: Who are the people that are in a pandemic are buying fifty to whatever thousand dollar cars? Like these are really expensive cars. I know we're working; things are good. Yeah. I'm not doubling down on a fifty thousand dollar car with like the, <laughs> the world collapsing around us Who, who's yeah. buying these cars?
1: Well I think that's a matter of um the types of people I mean that that really makes a, a great point you know we're not talking about Ford you know, where we're, we're looking to move a million, you know, units or something in a uh, given month or quarter or whatever. Uh, you know, we're talking about a, a relatively small company that's still early, you know, small, uh, as far as operations go, maybe not market cap, it's technically considered the the world's most valuable automaker. And, you know, there's, there's uh, talk about them joining the S&P and, and why they didn't already. And, um, but, you know, if they can, they can achieve sustained profitability, and they're still working off relatively small numbers from that base. So they can find people who are willing to shell out a fair bit of money for a brand new Tesla uh, in this environment. So if we were talking about a company farther along in their evolution and is a much more mature company in that sense, that wasn't, that was more looking to you know market to the masses at uh, these stages, it'd be a different story, but there are plenty of people who are willing yeah, to spend that, that's that money.
0: A, that's an important point, and I'll repeat it because you faded out for a bit there, that this isn't Not. Ford. The the overall number they need to sell is relatively small, and mm-hmm. we have seen during the pandemic, frankly, during the economy of the past four years, it's been a rich-get-richer situation where people who are yeah. doing well tend to be doing better, and hey, that includes us, uh, but, but certainly we'd like to see everyone do well. Steve, I'm going to give you the last word here on earnings. Then we're going to seg into my story because they are related. Uh, Coca-Cola. What are we watching for with Coca-Cola earnings? (laughs) Uh,
1: I'm not even sure what I'm watching for, for Coca-Cola because I don't own it. Uh, But I know they report on Thursday uh, and that's really uh, kind of a, a a pulse, uh, of the economy and the American consumer, uh, the global consumer, but yes, America, uh, we, we like our Coke and, uh, it, will be really interesting to see how people are spending. Um, they, they give you a good kind of sense for a pulse of the economy and, uh, and in the state of consumers, whether they're willing to continue spending on the yeah, sort and of and extraneous st- thing.
0: Steve, let me jump in. It's really, you're looking at the macroeconomic level okay. of, how did their sales break down and they'll give you some color on this between the home and restaurants previously you know their numbers were off but they they sold a lot more to people at their house max is you know sitting there pounding diet cokes or whatever it is cuz he can't <laughs> go out to a restaurant uh, so those numbers were up but overall their numbers are down but coke and we'll segue into my story is a company making some changes uh, guys bad news they are getting rid of some unpopular brands. Some of those, not unpopular, less popular brands.
2: How dare you!
0: <laughs> They're killing Tab. Steve, do you even know what a Tab is?
1: I know what Tab is. It makes me think of my childhood, and I didn't even know they still made it or that Coke owned it. So tab
0: tab is the original diet soda. It predates Diet Coke. It tastes like a metal can. Like <laughs> I don't know how else to describe it. It is. It is saccharin. And it it probably is bad for you, would be my guess. Max, have you ever had a tab? (laughs) Nope. All right. So here's what's happening here. Coke is getting rid of Tab. They're getting rid of Odwalla. Odwalla they're getting rid of because it requires refrigerated trucks to deliver, and the sales for the vol- for the brand aren't enough to justify that expense. They're also getting rid of some regional brands that I've never heard of. Zico Coconut Water, uh, Stevia Sweet and Coca-Cola Life, Diet Coke Feisty Cherry. I feel like they made that one up, but I'm going to trust the people at CNBC. <laughs> and They're going to get rid of something called Northern Neck Ginger Ale and Delaware punch. Guys, I'm not going to miss any of these, but I like the business decision of getting out of things that aren't working. I'm not precisely sure why in this day and age, you wouldn't take something like tab, which has a diehard following and make it digital only where you can, you don't distribute it. You just make it, you overcharge for it. The people who like it probably really like it. They'd probably pay to get it. But that said, if you're Coke, Nothing is worth it to you if it's not a multi-billion-dollar brand. So I like this kind of culling of the herd. I like these changes. There's not a ton to say here, but this is a really well-run company. And you know, could they have sold Tab off? Yeah, sure. Maybe Polar buys it for some tens of millions of dollars that's not that's not worth it for coke you you also probably don't want to send customers elsewhere. so does this change your investing thesis for Coke? no, but does it give you more faith in current management that their their hands are on the reins that they're putting their dollars behind the winners uh, and look something that's a big hit for a smaller brand would would be a giant failure for Coke so you know I, I'm sure my mom said, Uh, you know, anyone who fondly remembers tab is is probably not going to like it. I doubt my mom has had a tab in 30 years. Uh, And I knew it existed because one of our former colleagues is a big tab fan. Uh, So I'm sure people will be stocking up. I will tell you, soda doesn't save that well, it does separate after some point. So it's not like you could buy a rest of your life supply worth a tab. But Max, you've been quiet for a while. So let's talk about everyone wants to know, and I think it's a giant investing mistake people are making who's going to get the vaccine so I could buy shares of that company? Max, that's fundamentally wrong, right?
2: Yeah, I've had this question a few times from, you know, people on Twitter, family, friends, and I agree with you. I think it's actually a bad idea to chase the pandemic as an investing, um, you know, idea, right? So, you know, there's a lot of companies. I mean, I think there's over 100 different treatments and vaccines in development all over the globe. And the reality is, you know, um, these are gonna be not real big money makers in terms of profitability, and we still have no idea which companies are gonna be successful, right? Um, yeah,
0: it- And if there is a vaccine, your pressure to sell it at cost or nearly cost is enormous. Nobody wants to be the company who has the cure and is charging tons of money for it. That makes you a terrible, terrible person. (laughs) And that's not something a big company is going to do. Smaller companies might charge more, but they're going to charge more because their cost structure is higher, not because they're going to make more profit. Max, does this sort of race for a vaccine, though, teach you anything about a company and its ability to sort of develop drugs? Is there any sort of investable knowledge here, if not investments you might make?
2: Um, Yeah, I mean, it kind of exposes a few of the realities of drug development, which maybe investors don't think about all the time, right? So, um, you know, trials are one thing. And I think a lot of times investors look towards FDA approval as being the end of the road, and you get FDA approval, and then you win. And oftentimes, that's not the case. There's a lot of you know, manufacturing obstacles. Um, you know, sometimes you have a drug, and even if it's the best drug on the market, it just doesn't gain traction. Uh, doctors don't prescribe it, or um, you know, it doesn't get picked up by insurance. So that's not something that's going to happen here. But certainly with manufacturing hurdles and the logistic hurdles of just anything that's treating or a vaccine for you know, the coronavirus, uh, you know this is the first time in human history we needed billions of doses of a vaccine <laughs> yesterday. So I don't think people are really appreciating um, you know, we have to ship these things, we have to keep them very cold. Um, even in the US, there's gonna be differences in access between people who live in cities and people who live in rural areas. And then think about you know, in developing countries. So, you know, approval, which is upcoming um for multiple vaccine candidates, is not the end of the road. It's it's probably like the fourth or fifth inning, and it, you know, there's it's it's not an investable opportunity in my mind.
0: So this is not an area where I invest, but as you know, Max, I've made a pledge that I'm gonna buy at least one share of every stock you recommend for the next year. And we can't talk about our recommendations, but let's just be fair to say that broadly, the medical space is one you're in. How do you evaluate a pharmaceutical company, especially when it's a newer stage, You know, maybe doesn't even have an approved drug yet? How, how do you dig in and look at it as an investor?
2: Yeah, well, that's actually uh, my upcoming recommendation. November is a development stage drug company and no drugs on the market. So I look at a few different things. I look at you know uh, having the science be sound and solid sometimes that's harder to tease out for most investors, right? If you don't have a technical background, but you don't want companies taking too big of leaps scientifically with their hypotheses, right? There's been a couple of companies chasing, you know, aging cures and things. And if you look into the science, eh, it's kind of weak, you know, maybe stay away from that one until it's uh, a little bit more legitimate. Then you follow clinical trials, right? Um, you know, obviously you follow those, but there's differences, uh, you know, so when a company's in phase two trials, you want to make sure it's, you know, hitting its primary endpoints and it's not close because once that expands to larger trials with more people, uh, sometimes it can fail then. So you really want it to have uh, solid results all throughout trials. Uh, and then again, like we just talked about FDA approvals, not the end of the road. You want to make sure companies are, you know, have their ducks in a row for manufacturing, uh, and a good commercial infrastructure for market launch. Um, you know, especially important in biopharmaceutical companies. Um, I think I talked about this the other day. But, you know, uh, the first gene therapy, uh, gene therapies that got approved by the FDA, I mean, their applications were 10s of 1000s of pages long, but over half of that was just manufacturing data. It wasn't even clinical data from, you know, the safety and efficacy of the drug. So uh, the FDA really wants to make sure that companies are making homogenous products, especially when it's a gene therapy or a cell therapy, where the thing's a living thing. So, um, you know, different things to uh, look out for investors there.
0: Yeah, I've joked about this, but it feels like this rushing of vaccines is basically uh, the first step of the zombie apocalypse. Every zombie book you read starts with an uncontrollable super flu, and then somebody miraculously creates a vaccine quickly. And it works great, except when you die, you come back. Uh, I don't literally expect that to happen, but there are risks involved with how fast this is going. And, you know, but let's talk a little bit more of a broader sense of investing because of the pandemic. I'll throw out something I've learned that has helped me as an investor during the pandemic. And I'll let you guys each throw out one. We'll start with Steve. But I've learned how companies treat their employees. So in a normal day, like you hear rumors about, ah, oh, Amazon's really hard in its warehouse workers. You don't necessarily see it. We were able to see right up front, you know, okay, what did Starbucks do? Well, they let workers who were at risk stay home and kept paying them for a while then they mandated masks of customers and employees and put in tremendous you know cleaning procedures in their stores and in many cases are only operating with outside drop off and their drive through you saw a lot of chains do that now look some companies couldn't afford to do it but you know we saw here not a public company wawa very quickly put in glass shields and and really you know put in dividers between the soda machines and things like that you learned a lot about how companies treat workers And to me, that's actually a big part of investing. I'll point out, I sold my WWE stock. I used to be a shareholder of WWE in a time where they're not losing a dime because most of their money comes from television. They laid off a whole bunch of people, and some of them were performers who had been very highly paid, who wanted to leave, and it was just sort of crummy that they picked this time to do it. Some of them were producers and back, you know, production people who don't have an ability to make a living, and, and it just made me feel bad about a company whose business I like. Steve, what have you learned that's helped you as an investor during the pandemic?
1: Well, I'll agree that uh, that pandemic has has forced a lot of companies to kind of show their cards to show their true colors and how they treat people and that is important and that's something we write about in our uh, monthly recommendations and something we have covered uh, with a few companies specifically because it is it can be such a differentiator but uh, I've I would also say that this is um, it is clarified for me that there are you know especially in environments like this two different distinct types of companies those that can survive and thrive no matter what because they are operating independently of the impact of the virus and those that are enabling positive change. And uh, that's something I've said for a long time is that I look for innovative companies that can positively change the way we do things and enable that change. So whether that's network infrastructure, as we shift to more um more kind of internet of things uh, slash higher speed internet, uh, data use, data analytics, uh, artificial intelligence. Uh, There's a lot of different trends that are emerging and accelerating uh, from this current situation. So uh, not only companies that can survive and thrive independent of situations like this, but also those that can enable change and benefit from it.
0: Max, other than how well or poorly every single food delivery service works, what have you learned as an investor uh, during the pandemic
2: here? Well, Dan, I own a company called WestRock, and it's boring. It's a paper packaging company, right? So they make cardboard boxes and uh, pizza boxes, you know, cereal boxes, everything and anything in between. Now, in recent years, it you know made a bunch of acquisitions. It's got you know a pretty high debt balance, lots of goodwill and intangibles on its balance sheet, and it's a low margin, commodity based business and industry. And I completely overlooked that. I thought, eh, who cares? I mean, it's growing. It's got cash flows. Uh, the rise of e-commerce right people are buying all kinds of things online we need more cardboard boxes and there's a lot of plastic based packaging that's either being outlawed or replaced with paper based packaging so i thought man look at all these tailwinds and i have the big you know red flag in my head about man this balance sheet maybe uh maybe that's not so good and in good times it did good and in so-so times it did good and then the pandemic hit and the bluff kind of got called so the company's been shifting around money and share buybacks I have to actually reduce its dividend and start throwing as much cash as possible at its debt position. So, um, you know, in retrospect... Is
0: is, is the margin just too low? Like, is it just too easy for somebody else to make a pizza box cheaply as well?
2: No, there's only a few major players. It's just, um, you know, it's like 10, 15 years ago, the industry kind of blew up. So there was a lot of consolidation that happened, but there was still a lot of debt that needed to take place to do that. So, uh, you know, its main competitor, International Paper doesn't have as much debt and um, but no investors kind of don't care about this industry so I'm kind of uh holding <laughs> on to my shares and hoping that those tailwinds pick back up after the uh, the pandemics over but well they're, hey they're, Warren
1: Buffett always said you only know who's swimming naked when the tide goes out and you know, yeah <laughs>
0: <laughs> there hasn't been innovation in the pizza box space since that little table that keeps the 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 top up from hitting into it. But Max, let me throw this out there. I don't you probably have never talked to executives there, but they need to make a round absorbent paper towel to sop the grease up. We all use the paper towels when we get the pizza to to sop the grease up. They need to make one that comes with it that's extra absorbent. There, I've just innovated the pizza box <laughs> industry. If you're following along, if you're watching 7investing now, you want to follow us on Twitter. That's at 7investing. Uh, that's the number 7investing. And, of course, you can find us online. You can subscribe at 7investing.com. We would love to see you there. But, guys, I brought up WWE before. It is now time to hit our finisher. Uh, <laughs> Sam, if you want to share the graphic, that would be great. There we go. A 20% drop in a high-flying tech stock's price is... Time to sell, 4.1%. Nothing to worry about, 29.1%. A yellow flag, 13.5%. And most of you seven investors got it right. Something you expect. This wasn't a trivia question, but it kind of was. Steve, we don't worry about a 20% drop. We are long-term investors. Give a little color there.
1: I I don't even blink anymore when I see 20% (laughs) drops. The the thing I do do uh, is is go and make sure uh, that the thesis still holds uh, because often 20% drops like this are knee jerk reactions. So when I see surveys like this, I would say uh, something you expect and nothing to worry about. Uh, most of the time, nothing to worry about uh, 20% drop, especially, you know, I guess perspective is in order. Oftentimes you zoom out and the stock like that's up 300% year to date and it fell 20% and it's now up, you know, two hundred percent and- 20 percent or something it's it's silly uh (laughs) when you look at that that kind of perspective so
0: and max i'll give you the last word in a second here but i think something else is i look to make sure like the ceo didn't die or we didn't find out that there was corruption so like i'll just do like a quick google search because if nothing big comes up in this day and age it's been a lot of like well Domino sales were only up eighteen percent. We thought they were going to be up nineteen percent, and you are like, "Wait a minute, that news is incredible." And the stock's <laughs> gone down twenty percent. When that when that happens when it's sort of reacting to analyst expectations, you usually see a recovery pretty quickly. It's kind of a knee-jerk reaction. I don't put a lot of stock in earnings. We're going to talk a lot about earnings over the next few weeks. I put stock in what the earnings tell me. Did this company execute what it said it was going to execute? You know, Was there demand the way they thought there was going to be demand? Hey, they said last quarter was soft because this quarter was off to a strong start. Did that play out true? I don't worry about the numbers. I worry about the story. Max, you can have the last word here.
2: Yeah, I mean, I echo everything you guys just said, Um, you know, and analyst expectations. I mean, it's a bunch of uh, models in a spreadsheet, right? It's kind of funny how much power that has uh, over some of these stocks sometimes. And oftentimes it is a short term concern. So if you feel very good about a company and like you said, it's, oh, they missed by, you know, a million dollars or something like, yeah, who cares? And maybe that's the time you uh, add to your position.
0: It is not easy to be a long-term investor, but it's an advantage. That's our show. Uh, thank you for watching. Thank you for putting up with uh, the fact that I can't see particularly well. I can, I can <laughs> read. I'm wearing these terrible glasses. If I take them off, uh, I realize how incredibly red I am. Uh, but you can follow us at 7investing.com or, of course, at 7investing on Twitter. Max, Steve, I'll see you guys later. All right.